there are things that we experience in life day to day that just imprint on us in passive ways as a coping mechanism. If we had to cope and process and navigate any non-positive human experience, we wouldn't make it past like two years old. Safety mechanisms are there just for survival. They're not there to help you thrive because I promise you, I promise you, if you make the intention and you set the space, things will come up. The work will unfold for you. The big silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. This is your host, Karina Dawn. I'm so happy to spend this holiday season with you, whether you are traveling on an airplane, sharing time with family, or wherever you may be, even at home. Uh, this is a reminder to download Big Silence anywhere you can listen to podcasts so you don't miss an ep. And also thank you for making us one of the top mental health and self-development podcasts. Uh, you know, we've been working hard on this and are so grateful for you and all of your support. And as you know, this podcast is a part of the Big Silence Mental Health Foundation, where even a $1 goes a long way. If you love this pod and find it useful, fun, a part of you learning and feeling not alone, please, please subscribe and share and consider donating a dollar this season. Uh, you can go to thebigsilence.com slash donate and together we can provide help for those in need so if we all come together $100 provides therapy for someone in a mental health desert or someone who can't afford it so uh, also I want to note last week's pod has some great tips on how to manage your mental health during the holidays a lot of time with families uh, it can be a little bit difficult to navigate so make sure you go to last week's pod and get those tips. All right. And on this week's podcast, it is Chase Tuning of Ever Forward Radio. I met Chase in Los Angeles when I was there a few weeks ago and went on his podcast. Really enjoyed his energy and presence. And I got to share my story and have an open conversation with him. And then he was in Austin a few weeks ago. So I got to hear more of his story. I think you'll really love this. Chase is ex-military turned health coach, turned founder of Ever Forward. And, you know, he has a great story of being in the military, losing his father at a very young age, talking PTSD, healing, and learning how to walk again twice, and about building a better body and suppressing the mind. We talk about therapy, his ketamine experience, and healing. And the love-hate of L.A. <laughs> Anyways, it's a great conversation. Love you, Chase. And see you on the flip. The big silence. The big silence. All right, Chase. So I have had the privilege of being in L.A. Mm. Was it last week? Last week. <sighs> wow. Quick. Yeah. Quick. And going on your podcast, Ever Forward, which was a pleasure. And then... Mm. Um, you're here in Austin hanging out. As one is. I, feel, I always call Austin my mistress. Oh. Uh, I'm kind of always here yeah. without my wife. <laughs> <laughs> is she going to come out with you in January? She is. She okay. is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've both have been to Austin many times. I'm just out here a lot more for work and um, other 
social media things, creator yeah. things that we might get into. And I just love it. Uh, I used to live in San Antonio. I was stationed there for a right. little while. So I've been back and forth to Austin before Austin was cool. So let's talk about you were in the military. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Like, How did you make that choice? Uh, that's a good question. I made that choice because it was kind of the one that was the least difficult to make amongst other difficult choices at the time. Mm -hmm. I was 17 and looking to leave home, go to college, get a job, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that next step is for so many people. And I always kind of knew what might interest me in college, but I never had this this pull, this affinity, like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be in marketing. I want to be this or that. And my dad, my uncle, mm -hmm. my grandfather, literally every generation, there's been a service member in our family. And so I began to kind of just talk options with my dad. And he very openly and honestly just shared his experience. We went to talk to recruiters. And, you know, this was 2000. 2002, 2003, mm -hmm. uh, when I enlisted. I was 17 years old, right out of high school. And it just made the most sense for me at the time. I was like, why, why would I go commit tens of thousands of dollars to college if I don't know or even really interested in what I think I want to be when I grow up? Yeah. And this aspect of legacy, kind of carrying mm -hmm. on the family tradition, was more appealing to me at the time. Plus, you know, 2003, OIF, OEF were a country at war. They had a lot of incentives. Mm -hmm. And a young kid who mm -hmm. didn't really come from a lot in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, you start dangling a lot of sign-up bonuses, you dangle a lot of health care, you dangle a lot of education benefits, and you kind of get this life that you maybe don't have, mm -hmm. but you're also more unsure about your ability to create on your own. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I can do it. Yeah. Let's, okay. Virginia, how many acres? Almost 200. I, I think technically we had like 170 something, but yeah. What did, on that many acres in Virginia, mm -hmm. what did you do for fun as a kid? Oh, man. <laughs> God's honest truth. Uh, we would set fires. My brother and I, we would just build little fires. We would, um, when it would snow, we had this, not quite a barn. It was in between like a shed and a barn, not like yeah. a full-blown barn, but bigger than a shed. And there was this roof that slanted on the backside. And when it would snow, we would climb up on the backside. We'd climb up the mountain, jump on the roof. And we had this, this game. It was called whoever falls off the roof first loses. <laughs> and we yeah. would just wrestle and try to throw each other. It was like, you know, a 10-foot, maybe a little bit taller, you know, roof. And, you know, on the snow, we're like, oh, it's going to be safe. But definitely not safe. Yeah. Um, we would just, we would build forts. We would run through the woods. We had a, a hillbilly four-wheeler. We had this old lawnmower that kind of crapped the bed a little bit. And so we took the, the mowing deck off of it mm -hmm. to get a little bit more ground clearance. Uh, we took the governor off the engine to get a little bit more horsepower. Of course. And we, you know, we would just ride that through the woods. Um, I mean, just get in trouble, really. Yeah. What are kids going to do on 200 acres in the middle of nowhere? Exactly that. Yeah. I mean, I'm from the best. Peru, Indiana, where mm -hmm. I used to play and train empty train tracks and like oh yeah like, so you're like yeah. you're hanging out with the boxcar children yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i'm like. an arsonist in the middle of nowhere in the woods <laughs> <laughs> on my my hillbilly four-wheeler yes that was your training for the trying military. to kill my brother exactly yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I was being groomed for the military. Yeah. I didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> so then you get into the military. And how long were you serving? I enlisted for six years. Active okay. duty right out of the gate. It was kind of, I had to go for the max initial commitment with the the job that I had and the contract that they gave me with all the bonuses and everything. So at 17 years old, I was committed until like 23, 24. And you did the whole time. I did. And it's weird timing because literally this year, 2023, maybe a few months ago, my original plan was, oh, 37, you do 20 years, you can retire. 37 years old, that's so young. I could retire, get all these amazing benefits, move on to the next phase of my life, have a pension, have benefits. Um, and this year, I would have done that. You know, I just, well, I just turned 38. But my original life plan would have wrapped up right now, which is a weird thing to think about. How many of us have a quantifiable timeline of, of our job, our life, and then like you cross that threshold, but your plan completely was changed. changed. Yeah. And so that's a weird thing for me. I'm wrapping my head around this year. Um, but in there, I was training for a deployment, got injured. Injuries were so severe that I wound up getting pulled from any opportunity to deploy, of course, but also even got pulled out of my job. Couldn't and, you not walk? Wasn't there? Or is that a, yeah, yeah, so, at one point? Um, like, long story long. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> um, so a lot of things were, were going through my life at that time. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I joined the military because a lot of this inspiration, a lot of this influence from my dad. And he wasn't the one like, hey, tuning serve, you know, any son of mine's going to serve in the military. It wasn't like that. It was just, hey, here are the options and, you know, do the one that calls you the most. But also we didn't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I'll never figure out there was this one, this one time when it kind of came down to the wire. Like I have, I have to either apply to college. I got to make a decision about the military. Time was working against me here. And my dad said this thing I'll never forget. And he just looked at me, he goes, Chase, if you want to go to college, I'll figure out how to make it happen mm -hmm. financially. And that really just stuck with me. I, I, I kind of had something click and I go, for me to not know what I want to do in college, I don't want to be a burden to my family, mm -hmm. especially not financially, because mm -hmm. I know that we don't have a whole, whole lot. And so that was enough to kind of make me decide to go into military. I was very close with my dad about a few months into my contract, I find out that he is terminal. He gets diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and it really sent me spiraling. Mm -hmm. Just kind of really gave up on life. He passed away about a year later. I was 19 years old. Um, just really suppressed all grief, every negative emotion, all the hatred, the fear, the sorrow. And it kind of began to just spill over. And I just like, you know what? I, I really just think not waking up one day would be better than what I'm feeling now. Do you think, I know you talked about being in the military and possibly death would be the end. Mm. Would you say through when you're deployed or did you ever consider taking your own life? I never considered taking my own life. Yeah. But I definitely questioned how much I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. I was just, I was in such pain. I was in such denial. I was so confused about what I was supposed to do. I was at times, you know, thousands of miles away from my family. I, I'm the big, I'm the big brother, the oldest mm -hmm. of three. So I got this older brother syndrome. And I was like, who's going to take care of my family? My dad's gone. What about my brother and my sister? What about my mom? What about my grandparents? What about all this? 
I, I did this, you know, I then kind of began to take a lot of that extra weight on of, you know, was this really my choice? I did this for dad. I did this for my family legacy. Do I even really want to be here doing this? And, you know, a lot of things clicked. Like I said, this is 2003 when he passed away in 05. Okay. So the height of OAF, OEF, it was very easy for me to find myself in harm's way should I want to. Can you explain OAF, OEF? Because right, most yeah. people don't know. Them. Operation like, Iraqi Freedom, okay. Operation Enduring Freedom when okay. we were uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Okay. And my job, I was an intelligence specialist and I, I specialized in Russian studies. I was a Russian linguist, Russian intelligence specialist. So my job, unless I volunteered a unique skill set that I had in the intelligence community, it was unlikely that I was going to be deployed because I was assigned to other missions. And so I decided that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I volunteered a couple of times for some deployments. Mm -hmm. And in order to go over there, you have to go through a lot of different trainings. You got to go through all these different things. You got to do war games. And so I was just anything and everything I could do mm -hmm. to make myself more appealing mm -hmm. to command, to let me deploy, I was doing. And on the surface, it seemed like, man, tuning he's really working his ass off. Chuning, he's committed. Chuning is a leader. Chuning is mm -hmm. getting promoted. For anybody in the military that knows, um, I made E6 in technically just under five years. What's E6? E6 <laughs> is a staff sergeant. Yeah. You know, it, it's like mid-management basically in yeah. like corporate America. Okay. In, in most jobs in military, E6 in under five years, right at five years, is a pretty difficult thing to do. It's possible, but you got to really want it. And I did, but... Mm -hmm. Again, outside looking in, I wanted it for the wrong reasons. They thought I was doing it because I'm a committed soldier. Yeah. I'm going to do all this stuff. But I did it because like, if I do this, I can probably deploy. They'll actually let me volunteer for these other missions. And then, you know, what happens over there happens over there. And in pursuit of that, during war game training, mm -hmm. I suffered the career-ending injuries that I did. Mm -hmm. Tore my hamstring. L4 and L5 vertebrae kind of went one way. The rest of my back kind of went another. It wasn't even anything. It wasn't like I got hit by a truck mm -hmm. or, you know, when I say, when I say all this, I mean, what I went through really did suck. Um, people might have assumptions, but I basically was just leading an ambush yeah. through this war game training scenario and just wrong movement, wrong speed, wrong direction, everything wrong just working against me. But looking back, I really do think something else was working. Against mm -hmm. me, but really in my favor right, in order to reason. snap my shit up yeah. so that I didn't go down that path. And then wound up having to have both of my femurs reconstructed. Oh, wow. So I got pulled out of that training, pulled out of that deployment opportunity, pulled out of my job, pulled out of my base and transferred to this medical hold unit where for the next year and a half almost, uh, I was just a patient. I was going through surgery. So they would, from like the top of my quad or like midway quad up to the top of my glute i got massive incisions surgical dislocation removal of my femur reshape it wow. put it back in i got wow. two rods in the hip and you were you back in the u.s then or yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah this was yeah. all I, I underwent all of this in brook army medical center down the road san antonio texas yeah yeah there's a medical hold unit there and uh, that's where i was for about a year and a half just in the hospital Rehabbing. yeah in bed pool therapy physical therapy I had no job, no responsibility other than just, just healing. Heal. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, you know what? You're too broken. After all of that, literally got to the point to where 
learn how to walk again twice. And then I was unable to meet certain physical criteria. I'm deemed non-deployable. Once that happens in the military, at least when I was in, they have no use for you. So uh, now I can joke and say that I overachieved and I retired at 60 years instead of 20 because they <laughs> medically retired me. Yeah. I want to go into the aftermath of that, but how many languages do you speak if you were working with Russian? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm still fluent in Russian. I'm really? definitely getting a little rusty. Yeah, you should go over to Peruski. Okay. I've been out now for 11, 12 years, but I, I really, it's important to me. I love yeah. that uh, the government spent tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on my clearance and language skills and stuff like that, which is weird that I chose this job but they gave me a $20,000 sign-up bonus. Um, I could barely pass high school Spanish. I like my shout out, Mrs. Clark. She literally <laughs> went through a special, just me and her summer school program for Spanish. Yeah. She's like, Chase, you're not going to make it next year. <laughs> yeah. um, but hey, you dangle 20 grand in front of somebody, you'll learn a language. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll learn Russian. So English, Russian, I can understand a good amount of Farsi, Persian Farsi. My okay. wife is Iranian. Okay. Um, and so being around her and her family for like 10 years now, I can speak a little Farsi. I can understand more. So two and a half languages, we'll say. Yeah. And Spanish. I'm actually pretty good at Spanish now. I, don't, I took Spanish for eight years in my advanced classes. I guess yeah. I was really smart as a kid. But I, I don't speak it now. Mm. I, I can understand it. I can understand more than I can speak, yeah. yeah. And then I'm Ukrainian, second generation. And that's right. That's right. I can say Dobre den, Dobre veche. Maladiets, what do you be Maladiets. Maladiets. Well, it's a little different than Russian. I can understand a good amount of Ukrainian. I can yeah. understand a good amount of Serbo Croatian. Yeah. Um, you know, check all that. Yeah. I know. I do want to learn another language. Or just, I feel like if I just took Spanish classes, I, it would all come back to you. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So, you are done with military mm. and you're like, what the heck am I doing? Did you feel like that? Did you have, like, in your mind, you can't, you know, finish your goal with the military. So what do you do? And in your head, what are you thinking? At the time, I really just viewed it as this mission ended. Yeah. I was given orders for the next mission. Go execute. It's funny, once you're out, Maybe while you're in, but once you're out of the military, you really do. I'm joking here, but brainwash. Like you, mm -hmm. you're so trained from such. Uh, you know, I joined, like I said, at 17. So these are very formidable years for any yes. human. Yeah. Process that with transition from home to becoming an adult, living away from home, mm -hmm. navigating loss, all these things that every human goes through. But then you add military training on top of that for day after day, year after year for like six years. I didn't process any of this until many years later. Um, and so at the time, I was like, okay, all right, cool. Uh, I'm broken. Okay, cool. Um, what does that mean? Where do I go? Tell me what to do. So they discharged me, gave me my paperwork, said sign out. And then so... You're on your way? The next day, you know it's coming. You go through a med board process. And yeah. so I kind of knew it's coming uh, probably like two to three months out. Yeah. So I dropped my final PTO, we'll call it my terminal leave, and I signed out a base and I threw my cane in the back seat and strapped the wheelchair to my SUV and kind of just drove off base and left that life in the rearview mirror. And I drove from Brook Army Medical Center, San Antonio, mm -hmm. back home to Virginia mm -hmm. 
And that's where my family was. And kind of just, you know, shacked up, chilled for a little bit. But about like a month into that, I, again, didn't really realize this during the time, but I, I definitely kind of had some things click after the fact that I just somehow was not ready or willing to accept that you're broken and there's no use for you. Mm-hmm. And so I enrolled in school to study exercise science. Mm-hmm. What kind of school? Like- uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. Okay. VCU. Go Rams, go. <laughs> and... It was weird because when I went to orientation and all these, you know, open house things, I'm this 23, 24-year-old kid Mm -hmm. using a cane and also there with his mom Mm -hmm. to help him because he's literally physically incapable of kind of navigating himself. And they're like, you want to study what? Exercise science? Was that because... You wanted to learn more about your body and how absolutely. to heal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like you've been through all of the torture and you're, you quote unquote, damaged. Yeah. And you want to figure out more about the anatomy and how you can make yourself stronger and better. There's got to be another way. Yeah. You know, from the hillbilly four-wheeler to yeah. running amok up and down the mountains of Virginia to you know, I played baseball and sports all throughout middle school and high school. And then to be in the most physically demanding job, one of the most physically demanding jobs for years to have that all come to a screeching halt. Yeah. My mind and my body just didn't know what to do. Like, there's no way this is it. Yeah. And so I was told, you know, you'll probably be on this cane for many, many, many moon to come. You know, get used to this kind of life now. And I just could not process that. And during this downtime, a lot of downtime at home, rehabilitating, um, I began to kind of get interested in the human body a little bit Mm because I was like, well, I don't want to gain a bunch of weight. I don't want to, you know atrophy, all these things. So I began to read and research a lot of things around nutrition. And this is when the green movement was kind of big. And Mm -hmm. I was just understanding what a well life looked like and felt like. And I got really, really curious about it. So I decided, hey, you know what, Chase, you sign up for college benefits, use them. Yeah. So I did. And yeah, about like a month or so after leaving the military, if that, I was enrolled in my first class at exercise science. And through learning the human body, anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, strength training, chemistry, exercise lab, all this stuff. I I really, I got so much better, you know, through those years coupled with the rehabilitation that the amazing VA center was giving me. I was like, hold up. I think I might actually, might be getting better. And more than that, actually, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. And that got me curious about, you know, maybe this could be my next career. Maybe I could do something with this um, because I enjoy it. And I'm really also kind of like developing a great story that I began to connect more with people in like internships and stuff. You know, I would have clients, coaching clients, training clients. And uh, once I began to kind of tell them my story that I just shared here, I I saw how kind of like motivational it was, inspirational. Also, it would cut the bullshit with a lot of people that I I didn't work out last week, man. I stubbed my toe in the middle of the night, you know, and I'm just, oh, my toe. And I'm like, yeah. I had to learn how to walk again. <laughs> You're like, yeah. And I'm over You're here in the okay. gym. Yeah, exactly. So I realized that something clicked and I was like, hey, you can do this for you, but also you can do this to help other people. And then it kind of just became a thing. I have a question that popped in my head. So you're starting college at 23? Uh, 24. 24. 24, technically, yeah. How was that? 
Just oh. anyone <laughs> because just people. <laughs> well, just most being people, old on co- college old, campus. Old as, yeah. 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 I just am curious <laughs> because I feel like a lot when you start college at eighteen, you know, you're not really don't know about military much. You're not educated in that or such, and then you're starting at twenty four. Like, was that difficult for you? Was you know. College is typically community. I didn't. I'm a mm. two-time college dropout, so I don't know much. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I don't know you. much about college or anything, but I would just mm. feel like if you're doing it, like, did you feel like an outcast, or do you feel like you could make friends? You know, really good question, and a big another big reason why why I enrolled so quickly in school and why this school um, because of friends, because of community. Mm-hmm. So I'm the oldest of three. My brother, he's four years younger than me. So by the time that I got out of the military and was enrolling in school, he was graduating high school and was also enrolling in college for the first time as well. So he was going to school. I had sort of already kind of gotten to know some of his friends from I would come home on leave and, you know, I would see his friends. And so like, I had some familiarity and a big, big part of why I struggled and a lot of other service members struggle when you transition out from mm-hmm. military to civilian life is you lose that support system. You lose that community to some degree. And uh, I was like, oh, community, good. Mm -hmm. This is a safe space. And so I did it. And, you know, I was going to classes and going to campus and all this stuff around with my brother and my friends. And so that transition was a big help, you know, transitioning to more kind of like that community. Yeah, I was just was wondering if there's like bullying or... No. 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 Okay, that's good. No, I mean... If anything, I think, you know, it sometimes works in my favor of like, uh, like, oh, like, ooh, like he's mature. Like, ooh. Oh, like, look at that older man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> older man, 24. Jeez. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. Okay. So you are into fitness. You're going to college. Did you go all four years and graduate? I did. Yeah. Undergrad yeah. there. And then somehow I got tricked into going to grad school. Oh, wow. Look yeah. At you. Yeah. Damn. Cool. Oh, life got me. Yeah. <laughs> So when we first talked, you talked about building your body and suppressing your mind. Mm, mm-hmm. Can you explain that? I like to give myself a little credit. <laughs> Let me just, this is, I guess, the ego talking. But also it was a very um, necessary thing for me to do mm-hmm. at the time because of everything I just went through. I was so focused on the body mm-hmm. that I thought if my body improves, a, that's an improvement because of what I'm rehabilitating from. And like, you're not talking just like aesthetic, like healing right. improves. Like yeah. being able to not use a cane yes. <laughs> and yes. walk around. Uh, being able to be active. Being able to, you know, get in and out of my car without help. Things like that. But then, it, you know, I, I caught the fitness bug. And I, I not only rehabilitated, but I was able to, like, shout out Big Daddy. Like, I wiped my own ass. Um <laughs> And so I was seeing all these results, feeling all these results. And I also realized that this can be a much greater feeling. This can be a great positive new thing. Objectively, everybody will agree if you work on rehabilitation, work on your body, work on your health. These are good things that I don't have to deal with grief, Mm -hmm. that I don't have to deal with processing the death of my father. Don't have to deal with any of all that. I want to deal with two of my closest friends that I served with that wound up killing themselves because they couldn't mm-hmm. transition out as, mm-hmm. as easily as I did. Mm-hmm. Different walks, for sure. And fast forward a few years, like that worked for me pretty well. I was 
stronger than I ever thought I would be. I was doing things in real life and in the gym and in yoga and all the stuff that, you know, doctors told me that I probably would never be able to do. And yeah. I was so happy and content. I was, I was getting stronger. I was getting leaner. I was, you know, doing all these things. I was very embedded in, in the fitness and early days of like fitness, social media community. But then one day, all of that mental, emotional stuff finally had had enough of mm -hmm. not being listened to, of not being prioritized, of not being respected in the same way that I was with the physical body. And it began to just resurface and resurface mm -hmm. and resurface. I would, I would black out. I would have panic attacks. I would, I would have to leave movie theaters. I would be uncontrollable behind the wheel of a car after hearing a certain song. And I, I went years mm -hmm. with undiagnosed PTSD. Mm around the death of my father. I would have these triggers that would just send me, I, I would black out, have panic attacks. I would mm -hmm. literally, the one that really did it over the edge for me was my then girlfriend, now wife. We were at my apartment before we got married. We were just dating. And I like blacked out. We are watching a movie. Next thing I know, I'm on the couch and she's like trying to resuscitate me. I'm Jeez. convulsing. I'm like, my chest is getting concave. Like I'm hyperventilating, all this stuff. We were watching a movie. Was it a movie that triggered you? or There was a death scene Okay, where this person's on a hospital bed and they yeah. bring the curtain over. I'm pretty sure it was Divergent, if memory serves. Okay, stay away from Divergent. Yeah, it's a trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. I'm good now. I'm good now. <laughs> and they brought this sheet over this body. Yeah. Just like they did my dad. Were you there when your dad passed? So when he passed, like literally the moment he passed, no. Mm -hmm. But I was there. I, I got, what's it called? Emergency leave. Amer if your family files this thing through American Red Cross, mm -hmm. the military will let you out uh, and extend your leave, you know, as mm -hmm. needed. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I was able to be there the last couple of days that he was alive. I was mm -hmm. in the hospital with him for like three days, slept maybe a couple hours. Um, long story short, went home to try to take a nap a little bit early in the morning. I was asleep for maybe an hour. I got the call that he passed away. God, that's the same with my mom. I was there with her for three days and then it was late. I was alone with her and my aunt came, but then I was alone with her and then Bobby drove from Austin to San Diego where she was and he went with me and then I was like, I need to sleep. So we went back to the hotel room and I got the call, but I was three days, but I was so happy I, that I could be there. But those oh, yeah. thoughts, yeah. like that, those, let's talk about grief, like, those images mm. and that and so this was 2009 right for you or so all these panic attacks and all this stuff this was 2015 15, okay. yeah he passed in 05 05 sorry. yeah, yeah. i'll wrap yeah. up that point by saying yeah. was working on the exterior self for yeah. a long time denying the interior self uh -huh. my mind my heart refusing to process trauma and grief until it just kind of came pouring out of me and at that moment, then she was like, luckily she's a nurse oh, and she was like, kind of like reviving me. Yeah. And she's like, what, what's happening? What's going on? And we kind of unpacked it a little bit. And she had kind of seen some glimpses of this throughout the relationship. We're like mm -hmm. two years in. And it was like this ultimatum, honestly, it's like the most loving ultimatum I've ever received. And without it, I don't know if I ever would have really taken the steps necessary to begin working on my mental health. She's like, Chase, like, I love you. But you need to love you more. Like you're doing all these other things. Mm -hmm. Like you look great. I just got promoted at work, 
But if you can't sit here with me and watch a movie, if you can't drive your car and listen to a song, if we can't go to a movie theater mm. without you freaking out, like she wasn't saying it like, hey, this is a problem. Like what's wrong with you? But like there are clear things that your body is telling you, that your mind is telling you, your heart is telling you. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to take that seriously, then I don't know if there's a place for me here. Mm-hmm. And I cared more about losing her than I did taking care of myself at the time. Mm-hmm. I Because I'm so good at compartmentalizing. I can stuff it down. I can do all this stuff. I can soldier on. I can just shut that off and do what the mission requires. And so that really woke me up. And at that moment, I decided like, oh, shit, I mean, let me talk to somebody. Let me, let me talk to her. Let me talk to my brother. I started journaling. I just began to just outpour as much as possible. Did you also have PTSD from the military? That's what I would imagine. Or do you just carpent? Compartmentalize. <laughs> like that's a long word for me right now. <laughs> yes. Sometimes one. I don't work good either. <laughs> um, you know, I have received a diagnosis for PTSD, uh-huh. particularly around the death of my father. Mm. I, the more that I have unpacked that, the more that I have navigated that, and it's really the last like three years, the more that I have begun, fully begun my healing journey through that, other areas of my military service are really resurfacing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, I, I didn't deploy. So that never right. happened for me. But a lot of the missions that my work supported, a lot of things that I did in my job, you know, I'm the guy in the movies, you know, behind the scenes, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm the one figuring all the stuff out. Then we pass back the information for the people like boots on the ground. And so a lot of what I witnessed, a lot of what I saw, a lot of what I heard, a lot of my work for, for quite some time was with the real evil of the world. Yeah. Hearing it, mm-hmm. seeing it day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Things that you see on the news are the G versions of things that we get. Yeah. And so the more that I am removing the trauma, the biggest trauma of my life, or at least what impacted me the most, I'm realizing that there's a lot of other that other stuff that I, I did see, that I did go through, that I did support, that imprinted on me in bigger ways than I, than I realize. Yeah. Also my injuries. I went through big fan of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. One of my sessions that I went through ketamine assisted psychotherapy, I thought that I was coming out of the journey and, but I was real, I was realizing I was waking up in kind of like a past experience and I was realizing how scared that I was waking up in the hospital from these surgeries alone. Yeah. I was realizing how truly how painful like the physical trauma that my body went through, like to have my about 12, 13 inch incisions, to have bones removed and restructured and to be having to go through rehabilitation for months and months and months, like that's a major physical trauma. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much that really did imprint on me and how much I still need to kind of unpack that. That's the thing about trauma work and emotional healing. You're like, cool, made it through. I'm Check that off. Like, shit, there's more under here. All right. Oh, it is held in your body. Yeah. It is held. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of realizing more and more uh, what else is in there to kind of navigate. Yeah. So your healing process, PTSD, panic attacks, what were your tools? So you did ketamine treatments. Only until recently. Yeah. When did you first do ketamine treatments? My birthday. So October 5th, 2021. Wow. So. Brand new. How many sessions? Ooh, I've gone through close to 20 now. Okay, yeah. I have some yeah. friends that 
are doing that, but they go once and they think they're going to just be fine. And I've had the founders of Better You mm-hmm. on here. And they're like, no, you can't. You just don't do ketamine once. You can have a profound experience. Yeah. You can even have a significantly healing experience in one. I've been there. Yeah. But, I mean, the science will show us that, you know, really the protocol is five to six. Most people say six, and I believe in six because there's just things get uncovered, things get uncovered. The neural crosstalk and neuroplasticity that happens, like you're literally rewiring your brain you're understanding things differently and you quite literally are a different person mm-hmm. and so then you need to revisit the old experiences revisit the trauma through this new lens now yeah all the especially with ketamine it's really that succession protocol is a sweet spot yeah have you done emdr what is that eye movement just i want to say it wrong <laughs> but it's a no no so i did that for trauma with growing up with my mom and everything and it's yeah. um i did like nine sessions with it's talk therapy plus you connect to a machine that goes into your brain waves and mm. like re i'm there's a podcast on here i always say this. Like, there's some there's science and stuff thing. in there there's like science it's <laughs> google emdr but i did a podcast gabby bernstein mm. go to that episode she explains it so well but yeah that helped me yeah. to not get triggered for certain things my mom would say or do and it really helped me through trauma. Very happy to hear that for you. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's a cool thing about once you commit to, like me, for example, yeah. and, and you, there is this big thing that we know we have been avoiding or we know that we want to work on. Yeah. And then once you work on that, it's great. Hopefully you make progress. It sounds like you have. I definitely have. I just a couple of years ago would not be able to talk about this at all. Yeah. But even if you don't have that, this is where I think a lot of people should pay attention because you assume or you really do an honest scan of your life and like, no, I, no physical injury, no mental mm. trauma, wasn't sexually abused, you know, my dad didn't die, none of this stuff, you know. But if you really begin to kind of just first recognize that there is this quadrant of your being that is the mental self, mm-hmm. there are things in there that you can't really believe that you are fully aware of. Yeah. There are things that we experience in life day to day that just imprint on us in passive ways as a coping mechanism. If we had to cope and process and navigate and, you know, push through every negative or even not even negative, just any non-positive human experience, we wouldn't make it past like two years old. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty about being human. But Safety mechanisms are there just for survival. They're not there to help you thrive. Only until you face them or just face that part and really recognize that there is a part of me that is receiving all of that. I would like to learn more about it. I would like to unpack it. I would like to just let it kind of open up and share with me because I promise you, promise you, if you make the intention and you set the space, things will come up. Mm -hmm. The work will unfold for you. And then how does, when you do the work, and it's so important because you're a man talking about men's mental health. I am a man. You are a man. And then addressing your own mental health. And then how does that affect your marriage? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) My wife is very, very happy for me. We've been married for about seven years now, but it's one of those things. She's like, oh God, now he won't shut up. It's feelings. (laughs) Uh, She's like, I'll go back to that day on the couch and just be like, (laughs) maybe say something different. Like... (laughs) Now I, I won't shut up about it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm sure you can relate. Yeah. Once once we find fitness, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the best. 
we're the annoying health nut. We're the annoying gym rat that just can't get enough of the newbie gains. Like, oh my God, have you tried this? Have you done this smoothie? Have you done this workout? Yeah. Have you experienced this diet, this protocol, whatever? Because you're just, you're on like, oh my God, I feel amazing. I'm getting to feel more amazing. I'm looking better. My labs are improving, all this stuff. I didn't believe that any of that was true for mental health. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I feel okay. Like, no, 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 no. Like, how do you feel mm -hmm. to your core, to your soul? Is your soul crying out for attention? Is your soul tired? What parts of it are you consciously and unconsciously suppressing? And all of us go through it. And it was just the floodgate. Once mm -hmm. I did, because I got these mental health newbie gains like we do mm -hmm. in fitness, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wow. I, I didn't know that I was suppressing that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I could feel so much lighter in mm -hmm. the day. I didn't know that I could feel happier. And I feel like I'm a pretty happy guy. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And so then it's like, oh my God, I want to tell everybody. I mm -hmm. want to tell everybody, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. This is why I did it. This is how it's helping me. Because same thing we do, especially someone, you know, I was, I'm a health coach. I worked in clinic. You know, I do social media. I've done these things for years. Like that was my role and still is. Now it's like, why would I deny a client or an audience member, mm -hmm. a peer, a friend, a family member, why would I deny them any other piece of information that can help them move forward in their life? Mm -hmm. I can give you a workout plan. I can talk to you about diet and nutrition. I can help you understand how the body works and all this stuff. And we can come together on a plan that's going to work for the exterior. Yeah. But honestly, none of that shit really matters as much until you get up here and down here, the head and the heart in alignment. Yeah. And you let both of them speak and let both of them come to the dinner table. Um, it's life-changing. And yeah. so for that, it's definitely helped because we're, we're married and <laughs> we, we, we've done therapy together. And it's yes. even more unique because my wife, psychedelic nurse practitioner, yeah. when I first started on this journey of healing, she was my medicine woman. Mm. And so it's like, Oop, have a nice trip, baby. <laughs> and so she's my medical yeah. provider, but also my wife. And I'm like, I'm on this journey and I'm crying. I'm there with the therapist. Uh, and she's just like, another day and another day at the job for her. Yeah. And she's like, don't talk about this when you come home. Leave this at the, <laughs> <laughs> leave this at the clinic. <laughs> this is a billable hour. I know. The the opening, yeah, I know all about the physical and being mm. in shape and this. And then, yeah. So Bobby and I have been married for seven years as mm, well. Yeah. And then I started the big silence when I finally wanted to talk about my mental health, my mm -hmm. mother's mental health. And now yeah. I'm just like, it's kind of like talking. It's like, honey, I thought this was called the big silence. The big <laughs> silence. <laughs> but yeah, I'm joking. I love you, no. baby. But she's like, seriously, shut up. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but that is. But then you're talking about like, the unloading of, mm. I think the more you talk about it and your mental health and what's going on and, destigmatizing therapy therapy treatments mm -hmm. and you just feel so much lighter mm -hmm. and it's really a, a beautiful thing it is it is and that transcends i can tell you having a online presence for like 10 years now mm -hmm. at least eight nothing i have ever done nothing i have ever shared in video and written in audio format on the interwebs Mm -hmm. has come close to the feedback that I get when over the last three years now about I share this part of my wellness, my well-being, my journey. Mm -hmm. 
there are just some things that like you can look at a photo online. Like, okay, cool. You've been working out more. I see your body, body composition. Okay, cool. Numbers are going up on the gym. Cool. But when you look at somebody through a device here and you're just like, wow, like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. That is the feedback that I get. It's this lightness. Mm-hmm. And to share with you, I'll say long story short, what I owe a lot of that to is actually my second ketamine journey. Mm-hmm. I came out of that journey a world lighter. Mm-hmm. The very end of this experience, this is, like, this is the coolest part. I got to share this part. Yeah. In the journey, at the end, all of a sudden, I, I'm just this light. I'm my soul, my entity, my being. I, I consider it to be my soul. And I'm passing through every single other person, not a, as a human form, but their, their essence, their being in light form mm-hmm. that I have ever interacted with in my entire life, whether it was a one-off passing or a best friend. If they contributed to my life in some capacity, I was basically crowd surfing <laughs> as this entity uh. passing through all of them. And then I get to the front and it's my dad. Mm. And he's there with me. And he was with me on the first journey too, which is crazy. And he's there with me. And there were no words exchanged. There's no speaking. It's just this knowing mm-hmm. of Chase, look at this life. Mm-hmm. Look at all these people that you have interacted with, that you have supported, that you have lifted up, that they have lifted you up. Now we're at a moment to like honor that and now look back at it. And when I did, I saw my world. I saw literally a planet. Like I'm out in outer space, right? I saw a planet. And then I turned back to him and the light that he was, it's almost like this Iron Man moment came into like my chest. And I felt even in this journey, in this altered state of consciousness, Karina, I felt like a planet Mm -hmm. was crushing me. I felt the weight of a world just come down on me. And I processed that for a moment. And then my father's entity kind of like we separated. And I interpreted this as Chase, you no longer need to keep living in that world. You no longer need to go through your life staying attached to the past, looking for me, being in pain for me. Because like, I'm good, bro. Like, I'm good. I'm on the other side. I'm no longer in pain. When he left me, I felt that world, literally a planet, escape me. Mm-hmm. I get goosebumps I talking goosebumps about this. Yeah. And I turned and then I faced bright white plain planet this whole new world Mm -hmm. and i interpret it as chase it's finally time to start living your life look Mm -hmm. at this look at this life before you look it's all still there just because you're turning and facing and building a life for yourself now doesn't mean you're abandoning the one that you're coming from Mm -hmm. and so i was able to let go of so much and i was able to also know that no matter where i go no matter what i do my father is still with me yeah and I came out of that experience and to this day in person, online, there's just people who knew me then before and people who know me now, like you're literally just, you're chasing, you're so much lighter. I know. I love you. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's what I attribute that to. That's amazing. Yeah. And I've, I shared, I believe on your podcast about the medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> <laughs> zesty. Yeah. I mean, there's something to this stuff, you know? Yeah. And, but it is, I think as children who lose their parents, as we all do and will, and to be released from that and be like, mm. it's okay to live, live your life. To be and, released. Wow. Yeah. To be released from 
the chains that we don't realize we kind of made yeah. in some ways, you know, that we, there's this analogy I use all the time that I made my life about moving forward, ever forward, this mm-hmm. phrase from my father, right? I'll say, okay, I'm the, I'm the motivated guy. I'm the go forward guy. I'm the, you know, physical, mental resiliency. But all I was doing was just adding another link to the chain that mm-hmm. was weighted, this big ball at the end. Yeah, I was moving forward and progressing, but I was still attached to that pain. Carrying it. I was carrying it. All, I was just adding more yeah. links. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. until everything we just went through that I decided like, you know what? Like, no. cut the damn chain. It's still there. I think that's a big part of healing that at least I struggle with that I thought, I, I think prevented me from kind of going through healing sooner mm-hmm. or exploring different modalities. I'm not saying you got to go through ketamine therapy. Hell, I've had an out-of-body experience saying goodbye to my father in the hospital just through breath work. Yeah. Just journal. I mean, the things that come out of stream of consciousness are crazy. I think that's a big part of what people struggle with is that we think by healing, we're going to leave them behind, especially if it's like a loss. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get over it. I don't want to get over it because that means, am I going to keep them with me? How am I going to remember them? And I'm here to tell you that it's just really, it's about navigating, re-navigating that relationship. Mm-hmm. You're not abandoning the person that you love. You're not letting go of that memory. You're just, you're creating a new relationship to that experience. One that allows you to move forward in life and know that it's all still there and you can revisit it, but you are no longer chained to it. Right. Let's talk about Ever Forward. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, Ever Forward Radio. I am a guest on there in January. Yeah. Don't Very miss it. Very excited to get that one out. <laughs> so you started Ever Forward. Yeah. I keep dad with me here. Yeah. tattoo on my arm. And that was something that your, your dad always spoke about. Right. Yeah, coming to find out, he definitely lived it and applied it. But dad, you weren't that clever. He <laughs> adopted it. His time in the military, uh, he was National Guard before he went active duty. Mm-hmm. Active duty, he was with one of the most badass units in the U.S. Army, 101st Airborne. But National Guard, he was our guard unit back home in Virginia. It was the 116th Infantry Regiment. And their unit insignia, like you know, every military mm-hmm. patch there, was ever forward. And so he picked it up from his time in the service and he literally brought his work home. He brought this mantra, this philosophy, this, this war cry to the home front. And he joined, I was like five years old, maybe. So from five years old, I heard ever forward, ever forward. And he kind of just think it's, I, okay, I guess my parent found this cool new catchphrase and they're trying to raise me right and, you know, have a good attitude and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. But it wasn't until... He was diagnosed and it wasn't until I came home for the first time on leave when he was in hospital, he was in the hospital, not hospice, um, the VA clinic back in Roanoke, Virginia. And I knew he was going to be in that bed until he died. Mm -hmm. And then I would just look at him with ALS. It's a a very cruel disease for anyone that doesn't know. It's um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And some people last years... In my father's case, it was about 15, 18 months. And you literally just decay. Your body just atrophies away and you wither away. You lose your ability to speak, usually pretty quickly. And my dad was this big, burly infantry guy. And so to see him wither away 20, 50, 80 pounds, like just losing all this weight, becoming just this small, this this boy again in a hospital bed. But then to look in his eyes, and know that he's just like, I know he's cracking jokes in his head. He's looking at me when he sees me come through the door. 
And he never once complained. He was my, uh, every nurse, every hospital member that worked with him. I get like happy tears now. Cause it's like, it's, it's, this is another cool part about healing is that yeah. you can think back to these moments that normally would like, you would want to die. Yeah. And you're just like, damn, like dad, you were doing the thing, you know? Um, every nurse, every, every person ever that worked with my dad for his last like four or five months in the hospital, they all came to his funeral. Oh. I mean, so he just, he lived it. Yeah. He, I mean, he had every right to complain and every right to just be angry and bitter, but he, up until his dying breath was just like, you know, all right, I'm going to, whatever this is, I'm going to figure it out, put one foot in front of the other for myself, but also for the example, for my family for my example, for my community, for my example, for other people, for, for strangers that can look at me. And this is all my assumption. He never said this to me, but it just, it has to be true. Mm. It was like, you know what? There is someone who is suffering mm. the most immense amount of daily suffering humanly possible to a degree. And it's just a matter of waiting until you die. Mm -hmm. But look at his attitude. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, all right, so after he passed away and I began to really kind of unpack all this and I understood finally what ever forward meant, like so many phrases years later, I'm sure were like, all right, mom, dad, I hear you. I get it now. Come with age, come with maturity, come with wisdom. I decided, you know what? I, I want to carry this forward. Uh, I want to keep a part of him with me. And as I was getting more advanced in my career as a clinical health coach and doing more in health and fitness and social media, I discovered podcasts and I decided to do one. And the only idea, the only name that ever came to me was Everforward Radio. Love it. And it's all about through physical and mental resiliency, what are topics, guests, authors, Karina's, people that do just that, yeah. that, that embody this mantra of, all right, this was my plan. Here's what's before me. How am I going to move forward? How am I going to figure this out? Yeah. I love that. And I am so excited to have met you through Ellie. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> yeah. I, this is why I love the internet. You know, it's just like people come into your life and then they come back into your life. Like, oh, shit. Cool. Now we can be friends again with more people. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. The internet, mm. even like here in Austin, you hear like you see someone that you kind of know, but don't know. They're in Austin yeah. and you can DM. You're like, like hey, I'm stalking you. <laughs> yeah, here you come. Let's hang out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. podcasting is yeah. so fun because you get to meet cool people that you would never meet. Mm -hmm. And especially in a world that was so separated for so many years and in isolation to be able to be in real life and have conversations. I love that you, with your podcast, you only do in person, which I, I do want to switch to that. Or yeah, it, it, 99%. 99%. It's, always, yeah. it's always my priority. Yeah. 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 Well, Jace, thank you for being on the Big Silence podcast. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Any other shout outs? Where do we find you? Everford podcast, obviously. Yeah. You know, if anything I've said resonates with, you know, you guys listening, watching, if learning how to move forward in your day-to-day -day life is of interest to you, then come check out Everforward Radio, two episodes a week. And then, so I, I, I say this, the podcast is kind of my long format way of unpacking unique areas of, of life and well-being. And then my social media is kind of like the day-to-day -day application. So I'm literally no holds barred, the worst of me, the best of me, the hacks, the supplements, the mindset, the meditation, the antics, the dumb dad humor, like literally everything because it's its healing for me. It's therapy for me. And then when I find something that strikes a chord, 
that's when I sit down uh, for you know a topic myself or a guest expert expert guest, excuse me, to uh, kind of just dive deeper. Um, I don't have answers. I have next steps. I have more questions for people because I'm still trying to find answers to life myself. You have answers or and experiences, and that's what it is all about: sharing it. Yeah, exactly. So everyone knows that they are not alone in all of these experiences. Come on down. Yeah. Room for everybody at the EF table, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, every way to find Chase is in the show notes. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. Breathe in, breathe